Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're looking at Paul and Silas getting out of jail today. I wanted to say get out of jail for free. You know, put a little Monopoly board up here. Uh, that's it. That's the last reference you'll hear to that. <laughs> uh, there's a setting here. Acts 16 is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Silas accompanies him, so it's Paul and Silas. And if you read between the lines right there at the beginning of the chapter, they go to the area of um, Lystra and Derbe, and they pick up Timothy, a young man, a young disciple. His mother was a believer. Maybe she had responded to Christ in the first journey when they went through Lystra and Derbe. Remember, Lystra is the town where Paul uh, commanded somebody to be healed, and they thought Paul was Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus because that town was so steeped in paganism. And his mother must have responded, and Timothy came to faith as well. It says it makes a clear distinction that his mother was Jewish and a believer, his father a Greek and not a believer. And so Timothy grew up in that household with a believing mother, a non-believing father, and he was a, a, a young man of faith. And Paul took him under his wing, and then they started to take him along with them as they went on this secondary, second missionary journey. And so Timothy shows up frequently uh, as you get into the details of this second journey. He's with them. Uh, I know Portia preached on Paul and Timothy and their relationship couple weeks ago on Father's Day, and the, the father-son relationship that unfolded there as Tim, uh, Paul gave to Timothy a spiritual fathering that his own uh, unbelieving father could not give him, and helped him to grow up into a mighty man of God. And then Timothy became a pastor in his own right. If you read First and Second Timothy, they're addressed to a young pastor by his spiritual father, to help him be a good pastor. And you read the advice there, uh, and it's wonderful. It's timeless for uh, church leaders throughout the church, all time and age. So we get a huge blessing from uh, Timothy's, what God was doing in, in Timothy's life. Now, if you go on here, when they left that region, they were traveling in that whole area of Phrygia and Galatia, and they were trying to go to some other places to preach the word. And it's interesting. It says that the Holy Spirit stopped them. They wanted to go into Asia, and the Holy Spirit stopped them. They wanted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus stopped them. Same Holy Spirit. And you, know, you just reflect on that for a moment. They're on a mission from God. They're carrying the gospel, and they're trying to plant it in as many places as possible. But there are some places that God said no don't go there. And, and that's worth us reflecting on for a couple minutes. This is before Paul and Silas get to Philippi, where the event of their jailing that we're going to consider as the heart of the message today took place. 
There are times when God is going to tell you, when you, even if you're willing to share the gospel with someone, no. They're not ready for it. Or if you share it right now, it's not going to have the desired effect. Or maybe they're going to turn and kill you. Uh, he knows. It doesn't really explain why he said no to them. And that's another thing too. Do you need God to explain everything to you for you to be obedient? When the Spirit said no, don't go into Asia, Paul said okay. When the Spirit of Jesus said no, don't go into Bithynia, Paul said okay. And I have a feeling if you read it that they wanted to go, that they were like eager to go there. Um, because the wording is, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So the picture there is them kind of pressing to get in there, and Jesus saying, no, no. That's worth us taking it to heart for ourselves. When God says no to something, it's really his yes for something else that's better. So think about that. Because what happens here is that night, or within a few days of that, Paul has a vision, a vision at night. And in his vision, he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul gets up the next day. He tells his companions, this is what I saw. And they conclude that that's where God wanted them to go. Not into Asia, not to Bithynia, but to Macedonia. And they set their sights on Macedonia and start traveling to get there. So you see, God's no wasn't just a, hey, no, no, I'm against you. It's, an, it's a yes, I have a better plan for you. Tune into that, because that's where it's going to be fruitful. That's where your work is going to produce something that's going to last. So they head to Macedonia. They travel over there. Uh, I, I remember reading of various missionaries in church history who've had similar experiences, that they have had a vision of someone from a region who doesn't know the, that doesn't know the Lord saying, come and help us. St. Patrick records that same thing. As a young man, he was captured and turned into a slave by Irish raiders, captured from England, uh, the British coast there, and carried over to Ireland where he was forced to be a slave and a shepherd for several years. And it's during that time that he really started to turn to God, began to pray, get to know the Lord, who he grew up in a Christian house, but he wasn't really following the Lord as a young man. But there as a slave in the down-and-out place in Ireland, he started to turn to the Lord and get to know him and trust in Christ as Savior. And at a certain point, after years of servitude, one night he had a visitation, and the messenger said to him, it's time for you to go. There's a ship at the coast. Get up and leave right now and get on that ship. And so he left his slave post where he had been kidnapped to become a slave, and he fled to the coast, and sure enough, there was a ship, and it took him across to the area we would call France today. And he joined a Christian order and began to grow and mature in faith as a Christian. And years later, he had a vision where a man from Ireland appeared to him 
and said, come over and help us. And he felt, this is God telling me to go back to that place where I'd been made a slave or I'd been kidnapped and to spread the gospel with them. And he did that. He obeyed. He got a, a permission from the Bishop of Rome and he took off as the apostle to the Irish. And who's Irish in here? Yeah, there's a few, right? And the whole world honors St. Patrick's Day to this day because he obeyed the vision when he got it. And he went to spread the gospel to a people who were hungry and ready for it. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't face opposition. He faced a lot of opposition when he got to Ireland, especially from the reigning religion of Irish paganism with its druidic beliefs and the, the various gods and goddesses that the Irish worshipped. And he had a bunch of showdowns with them. As he was confronting them with the real God of heaven and illuminating the falseness of those pagan religions. And if you read the accounts of his exploits there, um, they were really power encounters where the power of the God of heaven was revealed as far superior to the illusory idols that the Irish were worshiping. And if you look here, when Paul gets to Macedonia, there's something similar happening, and it's actually one of the reasons he ends, ends up in jail. So they get to Macedonia. They come to uh, uh, Philippi, and they find uh, a place in the Sabbath, to go and start sharing the gospel. They go to a place outside the city. Now, Philippi is a Roman province. It's the chief, I mean, a Roman town, chief town of that Roman province of Macedonia. So it's a pretty important town with a lot of Roman uh, soldiers who went there in retirement, um, a lot of people who were Roman citizens. And he it named for Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedonia, but a Roman colony. And he goes and he starts preaching, and, and Lydia responds to the message. They go down to the river. There's a group gathering there for prayer on the Sabbath. He shares the gospel with them. There's Jews and there's God-fearing Gentiles. They've never heard of Jesus before. Maybe they heard some rumors about a guy that was a rabbi over in Judea but nothing about the full message of the Messiah. Paul shares, Lydia responds. It says, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. I just noticed that. To come to Christ requires the Lord to open your heart. We can't get to God on our own. We can't claw our way to heaven and say, God, you have to let me know you. Uh, in our own sin, we're estranged from God. That's our natural state. We're natural-born rebels. We need help from God even to want to turn to Him. And you see the stirring of that in Lydia's life, that she was a worshiper of God. The God she didn't know very well, but she worshiped Him. And God prepared her to respond to Him by opening her heart. Him. Unless the Lord opens your heart, you can't even see who Jesus is. You know, if we're looking to Acts for missionary principles about how we're supposed to live today as believers, how we're supposed to share the gospel today, 
These things are really important for us because who are we going to go to around here? You know, we might, like Paul, say, well, I want to go down to such and so street and share the gospel there. Or, or I, I'm thinking about such and so person I want to share the gospel with. Have we asked God where he wants us to go, who he wants us to talk to? Have we listened for his divine no's and his divine yeses? Are we praying that God will open the hearts of the people we want to share the gospel with? Listen, folks, we have the timeless message of salvation. And we live in an age when more and more people grew up in homes where Jesus was only used as a cuss word. They do not know the saving power of Jesus Christ. They think church is an old-fashioned, outdated thing representing a religion of the past that's archaic and irrelevant. They've been raised in, in this modern age to think that it's all about what we know and what our power can achieve and our, our, our minds, our, our uh, own efforts. And if there's a God, they may say, generally, I believe in God, and oh, I like what Jesus said when he said, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. But they don't know the living God, and they are lost in their sin. They may think they're Christian because they got baptized as a baby in some church. But they've never made their own faith commitment to Jesus Christ. They've never surrendered to him. They've never asked him into their heart. They've never opened their heart to him. And so they are lost. They're outside the gate of the kingdom. And the only way they're going to hear is through us. And some of them are not ready to hear. Some of them are in the place where they're like the people of Asia or Bithynia, when Paul wanted to go to them, and God said, no, they're not ready. I have somewhere else I want you to go. But they're out there. Some people are ready, and God is depending on you and me to share that good news with them. Now, how we do that is also all over the book of Acts. We're going to be studying more of how Paul reaches people in different towns. But in this one, he shares the simple gospel. Lydia responds. She invites them. He said, she says, if you consider me a believer, then come and stay in my home. Because the first thing she did is when she believed is get baptized. She came out of the water. It says she was filled with joy. And she invited them to her home. So they set up their missionary headquarters out of her home. She must have been a wealthy woman because it says she was a dealer in purple cloth. And purple cloth was one of the most expensive cloths that you could buy and sell in those days. So she was a wealthy woman and she put her home at their disposal. And they used that as their headquarters and they started to preach outside and in people's homes, in her home. And, then it and they're there for a while in Philippi building this, planning this church and building it up. And now here's where we get to the uh, prison episode. Once, now Luke is relating this. Luke has become one of their companions. So he puts this in the we, first person, plural. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
you can imagine that was a really effective advertising banner. Right? Not at all. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, we're going to look at the consequences of that little deliverance in a minute. But I just want you to consider what that episode means. This is a girl, a slave girl, who is being used by her owners as a fortune teller. And she must have known some stuff that convinced people that she had supernatural power because she was making a lot of money for her owners. And we learn here that the reason she knows this stuff is because there's an evil spirit in her. And the evil spirit is in communication with other evil spirits. And they can share little bits and pieces of information that they find out by listening and watching human commerce. That doesn't mean that they know the future. You know, have you ever been, I hope not, because if you have, you should pray and confess and repent of that. But have you ever read a horoscope or been to a fortune teller or read or seen it on TV? And you see that the kind of advice they give is that general type of advice that might apply to anybody. One out of five sentences. Oh, that's me. Uh, I read a, a brilliant critique by C.S. Lewis recently on why we can know that fortune tellers, astrologers, diviners, and all that host of people who claim to be in communication with the spirit realm are fakes and phonies, and at best, passing on information from evil spirits, is because if you search all the literature of all the things that have ever been written by anybody who was a spiritist or a fortune teller or a diviner, or an astrologer, you do not find one ounce of true wisdom for governing the human situation. Think about it. There's nothing of lasting worth that has been passed on by any of those people who claim to be future tellers in the name of these evil spirits, although they wouldn't call them evil spirits, that has lasted, that has shown itself to be on the order of anything comparable to, say, the teachings of Jesus, or even the teaching of Moses, or even the teaching of Buddha. You know, if you, if you read Buddha, at least Buddha was trying to deal with suffering, and he thought about it very carefully. He didn't have a vision of heaven, he didn't know God, but he had ideas about how to deal with suffering. One of those is surrender, right? Which as Christians, we understand. If we're going to deal with life, we have to learn to surrender to God. There was a bit of that in your song, Ariel. A little bit of surrender. Well, a lot of surrender is what it takes to come to peace. Well, we trust God and surrender to Him. So Paul addresses this spirit because it's bringing advertising by the enemy. And it's attracting a certain type of attention, she was making money. She had a crowd and a, a following, but it was not maybe having the desired effect, and it's making Paul more and more annoyed. I'm, I'm being uh, promoted by the enemy here. Maybe you think back about Jesus' ministry. There were times when he com, uh, uh, co confronted evil spirits, even in synagogues, and they would cry out at the top of their voices, 
You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to cast us into eternal judgment? I'm paraphrasing. And, and he commanded them to be quiet. He did not want their advertising. You know, he just kicked them out. Get out of that person, leave. And that's what Paul does here. He gets so annoyed that he finally confronts the evil spirit and he casts it out. He knows his place in Christ. He knows he has authority over evil spirits. By the way, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you share the same authority because you are in Christ. If you're confronted by an evil spirit, you have the authority to confront it and cast it out in the name of Jesus. And he does it very simply, a single sentence command. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it left her. It obeyed. Because he knew the Lord. He was in the Lord's protection and covering. He was doing the Lord's work. God exercised authority, power, and responded by kicking that evil spirit out at the words that Paul uttered. You know, some things that we're dealing with these days are evil spirits. When somebody can't see the light of the gospel, they have an evil spirit blinding them. When somebody has things going on, and I'm, I'm not going to go way into a, a message on deliverance today, but there are certain symptoms of being demonized, having this kind of occult power that this girl had is one of them. You know, that she would know things that she wasn't supposed to be able to know. That was, that's an evidence. If you're, if you're not getting in from the Holy Spirit, the only other uh, source are God's enemies. All right? So that's one of those uh, symptoms of being demonized. If somebody, and, and sometimes that's... Uh, well, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> we want to get to the jail part, right? Because this is not well received. You think, wow, this is awesome. This girl's set free. She's a slave. She's been forced to do this. Her uh, occult, maybe her family had occult dabbling because sometimes occult demons pass generationally. If your ancestor has been involved in the occult, the demon... It will keep haunting the family until somebody repents on behalf of, that, of the family, repents of that sin, and asks forgiveness. And, and then the demon can be kicked out, but otherwise it can pass. And you'll, you, maybe you know somebody who says, my grandmother had such and so occult gift, and it showed up in my mother and me. We see the future. We can read auras, that kind of stuff. Evidence of demonization. They don't know it, by the way. But you can identify it as a Christian, what's going on. And you'd think maybe this, uh, the, the town would be super happy. Oh, my gosh, here's this girl who's been demonized. And you know it wasn't just her knowledge about the future that was an evidence of demonization. If you're demonized, you cannot rest. There is no peace. You can't rest until you've done something wrong. Because evil spirits hungering within people drive them to do evil things. And even when they're kicked out, if the person's being is left empty, the, the, the demon will come back later with more demons to fill that with more hungering and craving. And you'd think, seeing this girl set free, these people would be delighted. Oh my gosh, look at that. She's at peace now. 
She's not afflicted by whatever other symptoms those demons were wrecking in her. But that's not what happened. She stopped fortune telling. And her owners, who were making a lot of money, saw that that had happened. And and when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. You know, I can imagine the authorities, these are Roman authorities, and they're adjudicating pagan religions, right? Competing religions. They're adjudicating the owners of this slave girl who represents one type of spirituality, and Paul, who represents another. And they're not believers. So what he's espousing is like, they're not even listening to that. And it says, they responded. The authorities, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. (laughs) Okay, maybe they were talking about Jesus as Lord. Who is Lord for a typical Roman citizen? Caesar. That's right king of this world. And the crowd joins in the attack. So the owners have stirred up the people. Hey, these guys are thieves. They've wrecked my business. Come over here and help me. Get rid of them. And they don't really inquire deeply about what's going on. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And then to be, after being severely flogged, they were thrown in prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So these guys were regarded as public enemies because they were interfering with the commerce of the city. It's a way of buying and selling stuff. You know, it's not impossible to imagine that here in America at the beginning of the 21st century, well, it's not really the beginning anymore, right? We're a fifth of the way through. That we have a culture that's increasingly not concerned with religious and spiritual truth, but concerned with commerce, concerned with the effective buying and selling of goods, concerned that everybody have all the stuff that they need, and putting religious ideas and religious liberty in a second-class place. One of the key leaders in our government recently said, that all rights are equal. There's no one right in our Constitution that's more important than another. And they're reading into uh, the Constitution the right for sexual freedom and saying that's just as important as religious freedom. One is not more important than the other. Well, what is your conscience? What is it part of you that tells you right from wrong? Is that not part of your religious freedom to exercise your conscience? And when we're told that this pagan ideal of sexual liberty is just as important as religious freedom, and if one looks like it's being compromised, the other is going to have to take second place, you can imagine that in the name of freedom and commerce, Christians are going to start to be persecuted. It's not just that they're going to be. They already are. If you read the news, and you read the news from Canada, you read the news from different states in the United States, you know this is already happening. People are being denied basic religious freedom because it competes with one of those other freedoms. And if you don't know God, 
How do you make a judgment about which freedom is most important? We have so many people in our country who don't know God, they have no basis on which to make a judgment about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So they don't see those higher eternal truths that will govern their soul and their eternal destiny. What they see is the freedoms that are offered right now by the power of government in this world. And that's what they fight for. That's what these folks in Philippi were fighting for. The values of this world, their desire to make money, somebody who was interfering with their, uh, their Roman peace and order by bringing in strange customs and foreign gods. And the result was a flogging, a beating, being stripped naked, being thrown into jail, being treated as public enemies number one. That's where these guys end up. Now, I love their response. When the jailer received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. He was making sure these guys are a threat to our town. They're not going anywhere. But look at what Paul and Silas do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, what happens next is awesome, but just think about what they're doing in the face of persecution. What are they doing? They're worshiping. That's exactly right. Were they expecting to be set free miraculously like this? Well, maybe they were asking for it. Maybe that was part of their prayer. They were saying, Lord, you've seen what just happened to us. You've seen the injustice. You know that you sent us here. And you know that there are many people who need to hear about you in this city. So please set us free. Make this come right for us. Bring justice to us. We've been treated unjustly. We set that girl free. We've been telling people the truth about you. And here's what we get. But help us get free. And just singing hymns, praising God. The other people were listening. They were planting seeds in that jail for the other prisoners. Talking to the God of heaven. Praising him, even in the jail. In stocks and chains. Friends, that's what we've got to do. We've got to be praying. We've got to be worshiping. That should be like the regular custom of our lives. Paul says, sing in your hearts and make melody with hymns and scriptures. How many of you wake up in the morning and you have a hymn in your heart? Yeah, some of you do. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one who put that hymn in your heart when you wake up in the morning. And by the way, you don't have to feel great when you wake up in the morning to still hear him. Right? It's not about feelings. His presence is with us regardless of how we feel. And that's one of the evidences is when you hear a Christian song in your spirit, in your, in your mind, that the Holy Spirit is there with you despite what you're going through, in the midst of what you're going through. And he's with you. And he's with these guys. And look at how God answers their prayers. Look at what God does in response to his faithful worshipers. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You know, that, that tells you something about Roman law. It's one of the reasons that we know that the prison guard that was set 
to guard the body of Jesus was a top-notch guard that would not have let themselves fall asleep if it wasn't uh, the Spirit of God that forced them to fall asleep at the resurrection, when they were terrified as the angel rolled the stone away. Because it's Roman custom, if you let your prisoner go free, your life was forfeit. And this jailer knew that. As a, a jailer in a Roman town, under Roman law, that if he let those prisoners go free, his life was forfeit. And that's why he was about to kill himself. And Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Now, the jailer knew something supernatural had taken place because he's scared. He called for lights and he rushes in. He falls trembling before Paul and Silas. And he, he brings them out and he asks them, what do I have to do to be saved? And maybe he's thinking, on the one hand, how do I get saved from the Roman authorities who are going to see all you guys set free? And he's relieved that they haven't all tried to escape. But he's asking a deeper question, too. These men are representing a message of salvation. That's what they've been telling. There's a way to turn to the living God and be saved, to be rescued out of the life of sin you've been trapped in. To turn to the living God and find life. And he wants it. And they reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to the, him and he took them to his house and uh, all the others and the jailer took care of them and he, he and his whole household were baptized. They put their faith in Jesus. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. A huge beachhead for the gospel is opened right there. As in, in this incident, which if the persecution had not taken place, never would have happened. So when persecution starts to come your way, and things don't go well, and you even get beaten for it, don't think that the enemy has triumphed. Don't think that God has become powerless to help you in the midst of that suffering, God turns this whole episode to an opportunity for a strong, solid, solid foundation for the church in Philippi because his power is revealed in it. Every one of the prisoners in that jail knew his power as the earthquake shook their chains free. That's not typically how chains get free, right? You know that God, as they were praying, that God had sent a cohort of angels and they were there waiting for the command, when the earthquake comes, unlock all their chains. Every one of them. The grace that God gave Paul and Silas leaked over onto all those other prisoners who were there in their midst and they got to see the power of God and so did that jailer. And he and his whole household got to see the power of God and put their faith in Jesus and they became part of the foundation of that church in Philippi. So you see how God uses even our suffering, even the persecution for glory. Think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You all know the Beatitudes, right? And the last one, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
You know, I can imagine that that's part of what Paul and Silas were doing as they're there in the jail. Lord Jesus, you have allowed us to suffer for your name. Praise you. Now we're counted worthy to suffer with you, the Son of God who reigns over the whole universe. And we get to be with you in that suffering. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'll never forget. I've shared this with you before when I was with a, a young man in Israel. And, uh, you know, at those, in those days, it was uh, the mid-80s, and there wasn't a lot of persecution in America against Christians. But I got over there, and I became part of that Messianic Fellowship in the Galilee area. And there were uh, acts of persecution being leveled against the people of that fellowship, Jews and Gentiles alike. Tires being slashed, rocks being thrown at their windshields. And this is like, you know, you read it in the Bible, but you think, oh, we in America, at least back then, that's so foreign to us. Christianity's been such a dominant power in the West for so many centuries, but not in the Middle East, not in America any longer, not in the West any longer. And to hear their testimony of how their persecution woke them up to the reality of God in a way that just sitting idly and comfortably never had. This is real. There are people who are against us just because we believe in Jesus. And we share a blessing because of that. We're on the side of eternity. We're on the side of the children of God. We're on the side of the suffering Messiah. We're on the side of the king of the universe. And to experience that blessing brought whole new power and confidence on that fellowship. And I got to see that as a young man, the reality of that, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you will be persecuted. There will be somebody who's against what you stand for. Don't be surprised when it happens because Jesus told us ahead of time. His apostles told us ahead of time it was going to come. Now, I want to just close with a little bit more of encouragement for how to stand when the suffering comes. And Peter gives it in his first letter, chapter 4, where he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, he doesn't explain what the fiery ordeal is. We each have our own fiery ordeal. You could tell me yours. I could tell you mine. But we all face them. It's part of what God, God does with, he uses those things. It's not necessarily that he always wants them. It's not like he wants us to suffer, but he uses those to help grow and teach us. It says, even the Son of God learned the meaning of obedience through suffering. Now, if the Son of God learned that, who are we to think will be exempt? So when you go through the fiery ordeal, listen to this. Don't think it's something strange. But it rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Is your body in pain? You participate in the sufferings of Christ. Are your emotions in anguish? You participate in the sufferings of Christ. Are you in grief and mourning? You participate in the grief, the sorrow of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
We should be going and looking for it. Oh, well, maybe not. But, <laughs> but embrace it when it comes. You know, so I think some of us have been afraid to share Jesus because we were afraid we'd be rejected or the message would be rejected or we would be thought of as fools and idiots for sharing the gospel in a skeptical age, right? We got to get over that. We got to realize that is what's going to happen. People are going to judge us that way, just the way the owners of that slave girl looked at what Paul and Silas did and thought it was a bad thing. But who had the true perspective on eternity there? Who was right in the long run? Who's going to stand at the judgment and have the story to tell that's going to make it through? Right? Peter continues, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. You know, we can suffer for those things and get in trouble and it's, yeah, all right, discipline time. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For if it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who, are su who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Humble yourselves, you know that scripture, under God's mighty hand. And in due time, he will lift you up. Paul and Silas were praising God, worshiping. In the midst of sitting in that jail cell with weltering wounds, limbs turning black and blue from bruises, you know that their bodies hurt, but their spirits were filled with the glory of God. The joy of God. The fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And God vindicated them. As they worshipped Him and committed their, their cause to Him, He rescued them that same night. Isn't that awesome? And more than just rescued them, He rescued that Philippian jailer. And all his household and all the people of the city began to say, you know what, there's real power in this gospel. We've seen the phony power that these evil spirits make. And we've seen the power of God overcome. We want that. Brothers and sisters, this is what God has in store for us as we share Christ with our community. Now, our community may not be at the place where Philippi was. It's in its own place. But it has people who are starving, hungry for the gospel, Maybe can't get there yet. Need somebody to pray that their hearts will be opened so they can see the light of God's glory in Jesus' face. And they're going to see it through us in our testimony. So don't be afraid to share Him as you get out there this week to find an opportunity to say to somebody, you know, I have joy in my heart. I see you're going through a hard time. And the reason I have joy is because I know the Savior. He saved me. And I'm walking with him. And he can help you too. Can I tell you about it? Think about it. Pray about it. Worship God. Let's bow in prayer together. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. 
Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.